Good morning and thanks for joining us. We are on part four of a message series called God and Me. And we're talking about the topic of identity. We're talking about the ways in which God shapes and forms our identity over time as we follow after Jesus. You know, in this pandemic, there have been many losses. Uh, and for some of us, we've lost things that we have long held on to for our sense of identity and self-worth. Things like our job or our career or the meaningful work that we've engaged in, some of those things have evaporated and we've been left asking the question, if I am not my job, if I'm not my career, or, or if I'm not the work I engage in, then who am I? If you're asking these kinds of questions, you're not alone. It seems like a lot of us are going through this transition with a, a sense of um, insecurity because the things that we've held on to for so long are no longer there. God is not silent about our identity. In fact, Scripture has much to say about who you are and what you mean. And we're going through this series as a way to rediscover the basis of our identity. And we're asking our Creator, tell us and teach us. We're listening for your voice, God, to teach us who we truly are. So today we're going to be talking about an ancient concept around the temple of God. And though it may seem a little bit uh, abstract and maybe a little removed from our everyday experience, it's a very valuable concept because it teaches us something very significant about identity. For those of you who are maybe newer to our, our church and to our context, this may be a bit of a more challenging message. It's going to go through a lot of history and scripture, but I encourage you, Stick with the challenge and try and stay with this message because it will lead to a deeper engagement with God. If you want to go deeper with God, you're going to need to go deeper into Scripture. And through this message and next week's message, I hope to bring some of these ideas to help us um, understand ourselves and our identity in a better and more clear sense. Three things for today then. We're going to be talking about what was the temple of God, how did Jesus revolutionize it, and what does it mean for identity today. And this is part one of a message that we will continue next weekend. So what was the temple of God? I'd like to offer three snapshots in scripture to help us understand the basics of this idea. And the first comes from the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible that gives us our sense of origins. So Genesis tells us that in the beginning, God created. He created this universe. He created this earth. He created the living creatures on it. And he took dust. He breathed into it. And he created humanity. Human beings were created in the image of God. We were meant to dwell with God. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 gives us a very interesting look at attention in Scripture. It, tells, it teaches us something about God and something about ourselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is a fascinating verse because it gives us such interesting insight into the nature of God, his character. Because he comes during the cool of the day. 
In the ancient world, the cool of the day is when people came together for a relationship. Not for work, not to manage things, not to talk about new projects, but in order just to be with each other. And God comes during the cool of the day to relate to his, to his creation, to be with humanity. You know, I think many of us have this assumption that God is really only interested in us when we have achievements, when we have victories, when we've done well in life. Now, certainly God is in those moments with us and celebrates with us when good things happen, but He's not simply interested in you or me because we have achievements to boast of or because we've done good work. God comes during the cool of the day because we belong to Him. We are His children, as we've talked about in other messages. We belong to the Heavenly Father. He comes during the cool of the day to celebrate and to be with us. Now this verse goes on and it talks about another insight into humanity. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What has just happened in the verses prior to this is known as the fall. As humanity went against the way of God, they rebelled against God. And this rebellion was known as sin, and sin leads to death. And you can see the effects in these verses as they try and relate to God again. They can't because sin and death are now part of their reality. God comes walking in the cool of the day, but they need to hide. They need to cover up. They are filled with guilt and with shame and full of fear because now they are at odds with God. We start here in our journey to understand what the temple of God is all about because Genesis gives us our idea of origins and intention. And God's intention from the very beginning as he created this world was to be with humanity. Contemporary scholars have done a lot of work on Genesis in the last century and have brought a better understanding of the book to the church. It's widely accepted today that the opening chapters of Genesis paint a picture of creation as a temple. It's a home where God and humans meet together. And this passage that we have read reveals what God wants to happen in his temple. God walks among us. He is with us. Now, let's turn to the second passage to give us more insight on the temple. Now, after the fall, God did not give up on humanity. He, in fact, launched a plan of rescue and redemption and salvation. This involved choosing a people for himself, and through this this group of people, God's people, he would bless the entire world. Now, at one point in the story, the people of God get caught up in slavery. They are enslaved by the Egyptians, and so they call out to God for help. Their cries are heard, and God chooses a man named Moses to deliver them from slavery and, and free them. But to go uh, from a place of slavery and get to the promised land, uh, a place of freedom, they have to endure a wilderness experience where they are learning to trust God even through difficult times. At points, they turn away from God, they worship other gods, 
they uh, idealize their past and talk about how great slavery was. But God is in the midst of forming and transforming them, and he is rescuing them. And one of the signs that God gives them that he is with them, even in the wilderness, is a pillar of cloud. During the day, this pillar of cloud leads them. At night, this pillar is filled with fire, and it also leads them. And we can see this description in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40, verses 36 to 38. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Exodus gives us this concept of the tabernacle. It's basically a tent that is built to exacting specifications, and God dwells in this tent. It is also called the tent of meeting. This is where humanity and God meet. And it's, it's important to understand this concept. It's the precursor to the temple. And this is the idea that they are to get. Even in their wilderness experience, God is with them. Even when they have nothing to be proud of, even when it feels like life is really difficult and hard, even they're trudging along in this journey to get to a better place, God is still with them. You know, many of us make this assumption about the spiritual life that when we go through the wilderness or we have wintry seasons of the soul that are filled with pain or, or loss or suffering and grief, that maybe God is gone or maybe God has forgotten us. And what the book of Exodus reminds us of is this, that even in Israel's disobedience, and even in her worst moments, God was still there. God was still leading. His tabernacle was there in the midst of the wilderness, leading. God's presence through the cloud and through the pillar of fire was there to lead them to a better future. Now, one more look and one more snapshot we need to take a look at in order to build this understanding of what the temple was all about. And this comes from the life of Solomon. Solomon was David's son, and he became king after David. Solomon built the temple, and it took years, it took a lot of effort, it took a lot of management and skill. And when the temple was finally built, there was a dedication ceremony. Solomon went to pray, the nation was gathered together, and the temple was consecrated and given to God. And in a unique moment in the history of Israel, the following happened. Fire came down from heaven. God's glory surrounded the temple. And it was so intense that even the priests couldn't go near it. Everyone bowed down and they worshipped God, saying, He is good and His love endures forever. It was an incredible moment, one that really marked the nation for a long time because after generations and generations, years and years of hoping, the temple came to be and God came and dwelt among his people. Now it's important here to understand what is going on because God came down to dwell in his temple. 
again, today there's a lot of things that we're trying to unravel in our theology and our understanding of the spiritual life. And it's important to kind of understand the movement of God when it comes to the temple. God came down to dwell with his people. Many of us assume about the spiritual life that it's about going to heaven when we die. We get to go to be with God when we die. We get to escape this world and all of its troubles. And there are many troubles for us to be lamenting over today. Uh, the state of our nation, uh, the fires, the hurricanes, all the different disasters that we're going through these days with the pandemic and people dying. Yeah, I get it. We want to escape this world. But God's movement has always been to get into this world, to enter into things with us, to be with us. And this is what the heart of temple theology is all about. It is about God coming to dwell with us. Not about us humans escaping to go to heaven, but God coming down to be with us. N.T. Wright writes it and explains it much more clearer than I can. So here's a quote. The temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem was the primary place, according to Israelite tradition, where heaven and earth met. The Lord has chosen Zion, has desired it for his residence. This is my resting place forever. Here will I live, for I have desired it. This is Psalm 132. When Israel's God blessed people, he did it so from Zion. When they were far away, they would turn and pray toward the temple. When pilgrims and worshipers went up to Jerusalem and into the temple to worship and offer sacrifices, they wouldn't have said that it was as though they were going into heaven. They would have said that they were going to the place where heaven and earth overlapped and interlocked. See, these are the basics of temple theology. And these three snapshots give us an idea of what it was all about. It was about God's intention and his desire to be with his creation, with you and with me. And it came even in the midst of pain and suffering, even through wilderness experiences. And it was a place where heaven and earth overlapped. This is what the temple meant. So how did Jesus come and revolutionize the temple? That's point two for today. Jesus came as the climax of God's redemptive plan. God sent Jesus, his son, to take on the problems of sin and death, the problems that plagued humanity that we couldn't solve ourselves. But in Jesus, God did it. And not only did he fulfill his redemptive plan, but he also fulfilled a number of ideas and concepts that were given throughout the Hebrew scriptures, including the idea of the temple. Now, there's a number of places where we can go in the New Testament to talk about this and to see how this fulfillment happened. I'll just point out two of them from the Gospel of John. So the first happens in the very beginning of God's, John's Gospel. John the Apostle uh, writes about the coming of Jesus as the Word of God becoming flesh. And we describe this experience when the Word came to dwell among us, when Jesus came to dwell among us, the word that's used in John chapter 1 for dwell is actually in the original language, the word to pitch your tent. Jesus came to pitch 
his tent among us. Or we could also translate that as Jesus came and tabernacled among us. The imagery is clear. It's a reference to Exodus when God was with his people in the wilderness. He tabernacled among his people. Jesus came to tabernacle among us. He was the fulfillment of all that longing for the temple and all that temple theology. The second reference that we might point to comes uh, a little bit later in John, in John chapter 2, when Jesus is having a debate with some of the religious leaders and they want to destroy Jesus. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to build it and raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So what's going on here with this passage? See, God's intention all along from the beginning in Genesis was to dwell in his creation with his people. The temple was another way for this to be fulfilled. And it was a foreshadowing of things to come. In Jesus, God's foreshadowing and his intention all come to an ultimate fulfillment. Jesus is God with us. He is fulfilling the intention behind the temple. Jesus can refer to his own body as the temple of God because, you know, once people went to the temple to have uh, their sins forgiven, now through his body, Jesus will go to take care of sin once and for all. You know, after Jesus goes to the cross and dies for humanity, what happens? Many of you remember the story. The curtain in the temple is torn in two. The temple is no longer needed and necessary. Through Jesus, all of this intention has been fulfilled. This leads us to a third point for today. What does this mean for you and for me in our whole discussion on the topic of identity? After Jesus went to the cross and he died and took care of the problems of sin and death, he instructed his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. Then on a day known as Pentecost, tongues of fire appeared above each and every follower of Jesus on each and every disciple. This was the birth of a new identity. They were now the church, and their bodies were now considered a temple of the Holy Spirit. When Paul refers to temple in the New Testament, he's not just talking about a building in Jerusalem. He is referring to the bodies of Christians, because the indwelling Holy Spirit comes to dwell upon each and every single Christian. I'd like to draw out some of the implications for that today by reading a passage and talking about the basics of it. And then next week we'll talk about further implications. But let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to talk about what this meant. Paul writes this, You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 18 and following. 
Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Our human bodies are essential to understanding our own sense of identity. It is through our bodies that we interact with the world. It is through our bodies that we communicate with other people, through our mouths and through our fingers as we type. We interact with this world through our bodies. Our bodies give us our sense of identity. It's, it's how we recognize people through their faces and through their expressions. We understand and we know and we communicate. But, but there are two big pitfalls when it comes to thinking about our bodies and our identity, which the theology of the temple serves to correct. And the first is a very low view of the human body, uh, where the, vo the body has no real worth. This was the kind of opinion that certain Christians had in Corinth and Paul needed to correct. And they thought, it doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink or who you have sex with, because in the end, it will all be destroyed. It will all perish. And Paul says, no, 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 that's the completely wrong way to think about things. God cares very much about those things. He cares about this creation. He cares about your body. He cares about what you eat and what you drink, and he cares about your sex life. In fact, Paul mentions that sexual immorality poses a special threat to you because if you abuse your body in this way, it has very big ramifications on your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The biblical standard and the ideal of scripture has always been that um, sexual faithfulness within marriage and abstinence in singleness. In Genesis, we get a description of what marriage is all about. A man will leave his mother and father and will become one flesh with his wife. This one flesh ideal is reserved for marriage. It is not to be abused. It is not to be taken lightly. If we view our bodies as lowly and unappreciated by God, we tend to fall into this type of thinking where sex is just a physical act with no ramifications. And in fact, Paul reaffirms the human body and says it does matter. Now, the other pitfall that we tend to fall into is the opposite, where we overvalue the human body and begin to worship it in a way without God. So I grew up in California in the L.A. area and spent half my lifetime there. And while I miss California in some ways and I miss L.A. in many ways, there are some things that I don't miss and that I found very irritating about L.A. culture, especially the worship of the human body. People often found their identity in their sense of physical appearance and their attractiveness. You know, there's a reason why the gym name LA Fitness works around the nation. I mean, a Houston Fitness or a Chicago Fitness just wouldn't work the same way. It wouldn't have the same appeal. We know, we all know about LA culture. 
But this overemphasis on the human body in that way also leads to abuses and to a really fragile sense of identity. Because when our bodies start to fail, we begin to feel rotten about ourselves and we begin to feel like maybe we aren't worth something. But you see, temple theology rearranges that. We are worthwhile because God has assigned us worth and he makes our bodies a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is fundamentally different than having other people worship us. It is about having people worship the God who has made us. Now in a moment, we're going to wrap up the message for today. And I'd like to end today with a prayer that you can pray on your own to honor your bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. But be sure to tune in next weekend. Like I said, this is a two-part message. There are many more implications for us to think about as we live into this part of our identity and to think about how we can bless our neighbors through this ministry that we've been given by God. God's purpose and intention for the temple were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is God with us. He is with us not because we can impress him with our work or achievements, but because he loves us. He is with us even in the wilderness. He comes and enters our space. Take a moment to thank God for the gift of his loving presence. Jesus ushered in his new kingdom. Now our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. This has all kinds of implications that we will explore. It guards us from a low view of our bodies. What we do with our bodies matters to God, including what we eat and drink and how we engage in sex, abstinence and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. It guards us from the worshiping of our bodies and finding our value in how other people evaluate our appearance. Let's take a moment now and pray. Just thank God that His Spirit is with you. loving God through all our years. Let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.